and I open as they as they do that. Lord, we do thank you for um, the day. We thank you for the time to get together. I um, I love you, Lord, and I love each and every one of the people in this room. And I thank you uh, for even the privilege to stand before them and to to speak um, truth into their lives. And and Lord, I know that. I've endeavored to do that properly. I've endeavored to do that biblically. Uh, but Lord, just clear, clarify anything from my mouth to their ears that you need to correct or or make uh, better. Uh, Lord, I, I I I I will fail at some point in this. So I need you to I need you to intervene. I need you to step in, Lord. As we spend time in the Word today, I just pray that you would be honored and glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, um, so we'll use this, uh, I guess, logo. Um, it was the closest I could come up with to that. Many, so I've not had that many questions submitted yet. So hopefully there'll be more questions coming. But uh, I am also stalling just a tiny bit uh, so that the other folks can can make it in. But we'll, we'll we'll have to we'll have to move forward. So the question that was submitted, and this person doesn't know what a question is because they ask at least three. Um, they actually had more. They had a fourth that I actually got rid of because I felt like they had th- they had their three strikes. Um, so um, it was it was an ex- they were contrasting it to another example. So in John twenty twenty three. So turn to John twenty twenty three. We'll read the we'll read the passage together. John twenty twenty three. Um, actually, verse, we'll start in verse twenty one. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And we and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. So the question, we see Jesus empowering his disciples. In this, at least in this context, the apostles were present. The responsibility to remit and retain sins. What is happening here? Okay, so it's a valid question, right? Um, as we think about the, st- the... Again, this is what was submitted. As we think about the Bible study principle of audience, who Jesus was talking to, are there distinctions between the commandments given to the apostles or the disciples that were present with Jesus versus the commandments given to future Christians, which would include us in the church age, right? How can we distinguish? Okay. Does everybody understand the question here? Because Jesus is very clear to these apostles that they have authority or ability to remit sins or cause sins to be retained by people. Okay. So that's very like that's a pretty out there concept if you if you if you allow your brain to go there. Are we all on the same page as far as the the question? Alright. So first first things first, we're going to um, we need to look at some definitions. So to remit is your first blank, remit is to abate, remove, release, or forgive. Okay? Now I used a Webster's is it 1828? Is that right? Yeah, 1828. So we use here, we primarily use the King James Bible for all purposes, teaching, etc. You can use whatever Bible you want. Uh, we're, not, we're not mad about that. Uh, we're not going to call anyone out if they use a different version. But this, uh, the, the Webster's 1828 is a good uh, dictionary to reference words that would have been maybe still not changed since 1611. It was still obviously a couple hundred years, 250 years or whatever, 220 years. Uh, But the difference is that especially over modern 
especially over the last 70 to 100 years, words have changed their meaning in some cases, okay? And um, by our usage. And so I use the Webster's 1828, on, especially on words that I'm not 100% sure that the word today means the same as it did then. So remit means to abate, remove, or release. So Jesus, if you kind of substitute those words into verse 23, whosoever sins ye, abate, remove, release, forgive. So this is not a fancy word for something else. He's actually talking about whosoever sins ye forgive, they are forgiven unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, and the word retain says lay hold on, grasp, or to continue. So whoever's sins are continued, are retained, they are retained by that individual. So this is not some fancy way of saying something else. It really is kind of saying what it says. Jesus is saying, you apostles, you disciples, have the ability, and I'll try to be very careful in my wording today, the ability to forgive or to to remit or to cause them to retain sin. So that brings us to our our rule of our, our first rule of Bible study that we'll apply today and that's the rule of Bible study called context. Many people refer to it as the first rule of Bible study and that's fine. I don't know that there's necessarily a priority. The rule of context will help you if you apply it early in your analysis of a passage. Okay? So by 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 using context first, you can often eliminate a significant portion of the things that might be being said. Right? So the old adage that people say, well, does the Bible say that there is no God? Yes, it does say that. But the verse, the context is the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. So while so so like a good modern day journalist can take snippets from someone in a in what they say and make it sound to their agenda for their story happens all over in, in, in journalism and social media today. People will grab the the portion of a sentence or the content the, the portion that they want to create the context or or to cause the reader to fill in the context as compared to getting all of the context. The fool hath said in his heart there is no God. So the context is very clear, right? So in this, I did this as, as a little bit of a pictorial example. I left it so you, if you wanted to like circle uh, the boxes on your... But, but we're in the New Testament, right? So this is not the Old Testament, right? So we're going to just narrow it down. We're in the Gospels as compared to the book of Acts, the church or pastoral epistles, the Jewish epistles or the book of Revelation. So it's before the book of Acts, before the church age. And then, with, and I just did it really for the purposes of the graphic, Jesus' birth, his earthly ministry, his death, his resurrected ministry, and his ascension. So it falls during that phase where he has a resurrected ministry. This is the part where Jesus has already come back to life from the, the sacrifice or from the uh, from uh, the crucifixion. He is again he's he's showing himself to the disciple himself to the disciples. So it's within that structure. So based on that are there distinctions, going back to the question, between the commandments given to the apostles versus the commandments given to future Christians, and how can we distinguish? How can we determine this? So on your page, you have a series of numbers, and um, they, are, they include a reference. I am going to put the verse on the page, and I want you to break up into small groups. We have time for this. Break up into twos, threes, fours, fives, maybe at the most. And you're going to answer, does this verse, this in this phase of Jesus' resurrection ministry, does the command apply to you and me? today? Or does it only apply to, to them? Right? So we'll do one together, then we'll break up. The first one. 
Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Does that only apply to those who were present that he was speaking to? No. It applies to us. So in this case, the answer would actually be yes, because does it apply to us? Okay? Do you understand the assignment? All right. So break up into groups, and we're going to look at these verses, and I'll, I'll, move, I'll move through them uh, on the screen so you have a chance to, to debate them and discuss them. Okay? So break up. This is the part where you move. Okay, so here's the next one, so you can, get, you can get ready for it. So the verses on the screen break up into groups. You're still not doing it. It's okay. You can move. You can move. Jisung, you want to join them or you want to join the the youngs or maybe with Paul and them? Either way. Alright, so so do you want me to put them up on, on the screen or do you want to look them your, in about Okay, yeah? Right. Well, you can go ahead if you want. You can go ahead and keep going. But they're on the screen if you need it. Let me know if you want me to advance the slide. Did you guys already do the first one? Portion of it, yes, some portion of it now. Yeah, good call. Yeah. 
So I had a question of can it be both yes and no? So by definition, then the answer would be yes, because it could apply to us, but maybe only a portion of it applies to us. Okay? And none of these are meant to be curveballs. I'm just going to go back to the top so we can go through them together. You guys have a Bible. Actually, you have two or three or many. So maybe like four more minutes or so. minutes left. It's okay. If you're not done, we'll work on it together.
Let's go ahead and wrap it up, and we'll, we'll. If you're not done, that's fine. We'll get we'll get to them, um, but we'll start back at the beginning. Again, none of it was meant to be a curveball. It was meant to facilitate the thought process. It was f- meant to facilitate uh, the the discussion. I don't think they're they're very uh, they're very intense. We're going to get back together as a group now. <laughs> you guys were very intense. You were you were very focused. It's okay. Oh no. Okay. Well, I meant wrap it up then. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we did Matthew 28. It's also known as obviously the Great Commission. We would say it does apply to us. You know, almost word for word, right? Yes? Okay. So the next one. This one's maybe a a little bit harder. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So this is probably a little more tricky one because we don't generally see things of snake handling and poison drinking. I guess we do see them in the back hills of Virginia and in different places, Arkansas. And and I'm not I'm really not picking them out picking but but those are really are the places where that stuff happens. So does this apply to us or no? So what's your rationale for yes? Verse 15 and 16 would apply to us, would be the argument, but not 17, okay? Or 18. And the rationale would be, and I agree, the rationale, go ahead. Uh, my, my rationale for 17 and 18 not applying is because I can see that already fulfilled in the book of Acts. Right. That was a transitional concept that God used for a season, for a period of time, to validate, to propagate the gospel that has been fulfilled, well well stated, in the book of Acts. And now it's not necessary, also in part because Scripture is complete. Right? So the validation of signs and wonders was in part because the Word of God was not complete. Now that the Word of God is complete, I don't actually don't need a sign from God. I've got one. A very complete sign from God. Right? I don't want to throw a curveball. Yeah, you do. It's okay. (laughs) Verse 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mm -hmm. So, So it's fair if you wanted to say this doesn't apply because that almost implies that both conditions are uh, necessary for salvation, but that isn't necessarily how the grammar reads. But that isn't the question on the table today. <laughs> and we don't have a ton of time. But don't let the grammar throw, the, throw you a curveball because he that believeth and is baptized is in fact saved. But he's not saved because he's baptized. He's saved because he believes. I'm sorry, I can't do a lot more than that, but yeah. Okay, so um, now in the, in the King James, those words are in red, which indicates that they're from Jesus. However, in a lot of Bibles, including the CSV that I have, it says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 20. Right. And uh, some the, the interpreters believe that they were added because of the snake handling and things that were adding animism and, uh, sure. to Christianity that are not originally there in the first century. So I would argue that this goes back to the earliest texts. 
that were based on the different versions. So the Textus Receptus, that line, would have had supporting document or supporting uh, theory behind that versus the other texts, the Alexandrian and, and um, Sinaiticus texts would not have had that language. Again, and I actually debated including this for that for those two reasons right there. The the they uh, so in the King James they italicize those words to show that they have been you know that they're they're contextualized. So so good good discussion. Unfortunately, we we'll have to have that discussion another day. So, but great call outs. Luke three or number three, Luke twenty four. Behold my hands and feet; it is that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Yes or no? No. Why? He's talking specifically to them because he's with them at that point in time. Well, that's true, but all of these, that logic has happened on all of these. He's with them at that point in time, but it's, I would say it's a little, you're dangerously close. He's actually giving them a command to touch him. We don't have that ability today, right? So it's that he's present, but he's giving them a command to touch, like, maybe inspirationally, I could argue that I can handle him and see Jesus, but not really. Now, you could argue that a spirit hath not flesh and bones, right, is a doctrinal concept that applies today, but it's not really a command or a charge to the disciples or believers today. Generally on the same page? And I'm trying to make an, trying to build an argument here. So bear with me. Luke 24, And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and is behooved for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be uh, endued with power from on high. Does this apply to us or no? Some of saying both. So what 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 about this? Do you think applies? Because if you're not careful, and we're wading into some deep territory today, and we're just skimming across the top, but if you're not careful, you will have people getting the Holy Spirit and having a reconciliation with God that is not doctrinally appropriate for our dispensation. So you have to be careful. Forty-seven. Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So again, I would argue, yes, that it's that that's something we could see that that has actually already played out. I would argue that that was a charge to them on where to start. Okay, but that that overarching concept of the charge to preach would continue on, just like we saw in Matthew twenty-eight, right? What else do we... And ye are witnesses of these things. That wouldn't, I would argue, doesn't apply. Now, we can look back and see them historically, but we didn't witness them. And I send uh, the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Not sure that really applies to us. Because I didn't have to... My reconciliation with the Father through the sacrifice of Christ did not happen in Jerusalem. Like it happened in Independence, Missouri. Different place. Okay? Five. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But And again, all of these are in the same time period. Within the same 40 days or so, right? Uh, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Does this apply? No, it's to one specific person for one specific moment, kind of one specific event, right? Agree, generally? Okay. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father... So now we're in this... Now we're in John 20, the context. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Yes or no? Ooh, some hesitation. Okay, what's your rationale? It's okay, but tell me. So you you could make a pretty logical and reasonable argument that the father looked at Christ and said, "Go see those. You know, go fulfill the mission." 
and that Jesus had said something similar to us, go and fulfill the mission, right? So you could make an argument it applies to us, okay? You could also make an argument it doesn't apply to us, right? So, so bear with me in John, because the point I'm trying to make is in John chapter 20, we're going to see both things playing out, okay? Then he saith to Thomas, reach thither thy finger, behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Does that apply to us? No. We weren't there. We can't thrust our hand in his side. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Well, obviously he's talking to Thomas. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. He's talking about us, but he's not really talking to us. Fair? Okay. So we have this verse up in 21 that arguably is toward us. Arguably not. We have these verses in 27 and 29 that's not to us. So then in 21, this is at the end, right? When he's talking to Peter, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Does it apply to us? Maybe, but not necessarily. So I don't know for sure that every believer is going to stretch forth their hands and another is going to gird them. Like, that's not necessarily... uh, I would argue that it doesn't apply to all believers. It might apply to some from a sacrificial or a martyrdom perspective, but not necessarily at all. So I would go with a no here. My point is, you can't just assume that this context that Jesus is talking after his death and resurrection applies to all believers, right? I know that was a long way to to make that argument, but bear with me. So, in verse 21, right, we've seen... Jesus said unto them, Peace be unto you as my Father has sent me, so I, uh, even so send I you. Notice the as. Okay? As is an important study word. So there are similarities to the way Jesus was sent in his mission that would apply to us. But notice what Jesus said in John 17 earlier, before his sacrifice, before his death and burial and resurrection, as thou hast sent me into the world. He's praying to the Father. Even so, have I also sent them into the world. Do you see the past tense? The past tense statement has happened before John 20. So the argument is that the command of Jesus for us to go transcends those different times. It happened when he was alive. It happened after his death, burial, and resurrection. And it happens after his ascension. The point, the reason it resonates for us so easily is because it's his sending us transcends any specific chunk of time. Okay? You guys with me? All right. But notice another concept here. It wasn't just the apostles. So the person who submitted this question didn't fully read the passage and I'm I'm taking a jab at him. I'm just messing. Didn't compare scripture with scripture because in Luke 24, the parallel passage to this, right? Remember the question is that Jesus is talking to the apostles. Does it apply to us? In Luke 24, in verse 33, And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, the the guys on the road to Emmaus, and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. There were other disciples that heard, we focus on the eleven, because Judas was dead, right? We focus on the eleven, but there were others that were with them. So when Jesus is giving this command to go, it's something they were all familiar with. Remember, they had been sent by twos into different towns to preach the gospel, and if they weren't received, they wiped the dust off their feet. Jesus had already been sending missionaries when he was alive. He's sending missionaries while he's in his resurrected state before his ascension, and that will continue on into the church age. It transcends these different transitions. Some of those things don't transcend the transitions, like snake handling. Okay? Alright. So, there's also this weird concept 
of the special provision of the Holy Ghost. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Well, that's very specific to those people at that point. Could you, could you argue disp- or, uh, uh, inspirationally, devotionally, that Jesus breathes on us and we receive the Holy Ghost at the point of salvation? Like, that he breathes on us? Yeah, you could make that argument. But you can't make that argument doctrinally. The fight, right? The Holy Spirit comes in at the day of Pentecost. But the Apostle Paul is very clear in his church books, church epistles, it's very different in the church age. When you get saved, you're sealed. Like, nobody's breathing on you. Like, you know, that's, that, that vernacular is not used. So in this passage, there's times where Jesus is talking specifically to the people in front of him. And there's times in this passage where he's talking to them and all of us. But the reason we know that is because we have other places in Scripture that support it. Not because I'm picking and choosing what I want, but because I have other places in Scripture that support the timeline in the book of Acts, that support that the command was even before he died. Right? Are you guys tracking with me? Alright. So, we cannot forget the transitional nature of the book of Acts, or this time. So, he even says in Luke 24, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. We looked at that. But the Apostle Paul doesn't use that language when he's talking to us. It's a transition, because the nation of Israel... The nation of Israel had specific sins they needed to repent of, not accepting him as the Messiah. We don't have that same problem. Notice in Acts 2, Then Peter said unto him, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of sins, that ye shall, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can actually see the progress, the transition starting to play out. Acts 3, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. When somebody brings to you a doctrine out of the book of Acts and tries to apply it to the church age, be careful. Be very wary of that. Because that is not... There was a time the Gospels were in play, and then there was an early church age, and once Scripture was finished, things changed. Okay? So it brings us back to, remember our very first concept here is, did Jesus give the disciples, the apostles, the believers, the ability to forgive other people of their sins. Well, we know in Scripture from other places that Jesus had this power. In Mark 2, 7, Why doth this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven, or to say arise, actually to be healed, to take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. This is a power that Jesus specifically had. And and Sam even talked about it this morning. Sinning is against God, therefore God is the one that needs to, to be the offer of author and offerer of forgiveness. Psalm fifty one, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And Sam even talked about Abimelech in, in Genesis 20. He referenced Joseph in Genesis 39. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So the, the, per, the entity that forgives is God. So now, how do we rationalize that Jesus says to any believer, to any person, you have this power. You have this power to forgive. Well, it's a principle. Okay? It's a principle. So, does this... Does this TV have power? Wait, I just said yes and no at the exact same time. How is that possible? What? When it's plugged in. Okay, so I'm not... Because I don't want to mess up the TV, but I don't want to pull it out. But, okay, so let's go farther upstream. Does that outlet have power? Yeah. Are you sure? 
When it's connected, because just a couple weeks ago, it didn't have power. Well, I guess it had power in here, but we didn't have power in the building. Right? So the principle is very clear. The only authority that we have to remit or cause people to retain their sin is to communicate whatever Jesus has said. We don't have that authority or that power in and of ourselves. I unplug this TV from the wall and it doesn't work. It doesn't generate the power. It's the conduit or the, 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 the wires are the conduit of the power. So Jesus in this moment is saying to the disciples, you literally have the power, the, uh, let me rephrase that, the ability to manifest the power that comes from me in the, abil- in the forgiveness of sins. Now that doesn't mean we as Christians walk around and go, your sins are forgiven. And I'm only kind of kidding because there are people that do that kind of thing. And I don't necessarily mean in our circles, but there are faith systems that take this concept and believe that means I now have the authority, different concept, then I have the then I have the ability to flow the conduit of power, right? The conduit doesn't make a decision. The conduit just simply speaks the truth from the Lord. Okay? So notice the principle played out in other places in Scripture. A fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covereth shame. He doesn't eliminate it, but he covers for his friend. Proverbs 17.9 He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very, uh, very friends. So we have the ability to cover transgressions or cover shame in people's eyes, but we don't really have the ability to take it away from them. Like, that's the best we can do is kind of protect people a little bit, right? Notice in, in 1 Peter 4, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. It doesn't, re, it doesn't cause the remission of sins. It doesn't take their sin away. But I can love on you. You can love on me. And we can cover each other's sins. Not in the sense of they're reconciled before God, but like if I screw up, I kind of want you to have my back. And if you screw up, I kind of want you to have my back. And that's part of what Jesus is saying. And we know that because we can look at the entirety of Scripture that you have the ability to forgive someone's sins by preaching the gospel to them. I mean, I, I remember several of the men that I have discipled, maybe you, and maybe you've even said the same thing. They, they, they get excited about their relationship with the Lord and they want to minister. So they're like, man, I, I, just, I just really want to save my buddy. I want my, you know, I just, I share the gospel with them because I want to I save them. Well, what they really mean is they want Jesus to save them. Right? Or maybe their, their, their mom or their family member gets saved and they're like, I saved that person. Well, they're kind of right. I mean, that person didn't die on the cross for their sins. But if they wouldn't have shared, maybe they wouldn't have, have gotten saved. That's the concept here. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. Like, like, I'm not literally saving them, but I'm saving them. Because it's not of my own authority. I'm just the conduit of the power that Christ had. So, let me read a couple of quotes to you. From Matthew Henry, uh, one of his, his commentaries. This is consistent with the very nature of of God. This lays down the duty of the church to proclaim forgiveness to the repentant believer and the duty of the church to warn the unbeliever that they're in danger of forfeiting the mercy of God that's offered to them. We don't create the forgiveness or deny it. We simply announce it according to God's word and the wisdom of the Spirit. You may declare their sins remitted 
on the gospel terms. I've actually sat down and I've led someone to the Lord and I've said, guess what? You're now a child of the King. You're now a son of God. Your sins are forgiven. Did I have, was I wearing some funny hat or did somebody just empower me to say those things? No, I'm just communicating what the scriptures already said. And Jesus looks at his disciples, the apostles and others, and says, you have the power, you have the ability for those who would have their sins taken care of to do that. You also have the the power and the ability, unfortunately, to leave their sin on them. And what he's saying there is, if you don't speak, they may die and go to hell. That responsibility, he is communicating that. The power to intrude upon the relation between men and God cannot have been given by Christ to his ministers in any way but a ministerial or declarative sense as authorized interpreters of his word. Like, we don't have the ability of ourselves. We're just communicating his word. And while acting as his ministers, the real nature of his power is committed to them, or as committed to them, is seen in the exercise, in some cases, of church discipline. There's times when we say, hey, if you're not a repentant individual, you need to leave. Like, and, and we, don't take that, that's, we don't take that lightly at all at this church. But if somebody's going to thumb their nose at God and continue in their sin, there's times when the, when the pastors of this church have to look at that person and say, you don't want to get rid of your sin, your sins remain. But they're not, you're not going to remain here talking that way, acting that way, putting our people in danger. Hit the road. The Holy Spirit can deal with you. That was from uh, commentary from, or part of that was from David Brown. So the conclusion, don't miss this. Only God can truly forgive sins. So God's your blank there. Despite the direct charge to specific individual, the principle to remit sins is given to all believers. Let me put it in other words. Preach the gospel. You literally have the power to be the conduit, or the ability to be the conduit of the power of God. And the last but certainly not least, if we don't tell them, they may actually retain their sins. You have that, authority, you have that ability to look the other way and for somebody to retain their sins. Yikes. That's heavy. That's heavy. It reminded me, and I'll, I'll wrap with this, it reminded me in the book of Jonah, in the book of Jonah, in, uh, let me see if I, if I still have it pulled up here. I don't, so I have to... New Bible. Fine. Do anybody have Jonah chapter 3? Pull it up real quick. Wait, you know what? I might have it. Hold on, let me do this. I got it. Here, here, here. All right, Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 4. And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God even though Jonah was speaking, and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered himself with sackcloth and sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor, uh, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let every man and be beast covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, and let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them and he did it not. Jonah literally plays us out beautifully for us. The Ninevites had the ability to 
have their sins remitted because of Jonah's voice, or they had the ability to retain them if he was not faithful. I would argue the the book of Jonah is literally encapsulated in this verse from Jesus. Like, if you don't tell them, they're going to die and go to hell. Or at least there's a chance they will. Like, if nobody tells them. It's a heavy charge before us today. I appreciate the, the question. If you have others, I would, I would encourage, I mean, anything that you come across in Scripture, and I'm just going to be very blunt in this part and say, if you're reading Scripture and don't come across a question, you're not, you're not doing it right. I mean that in love. Like, just write that down. Grab me, send me a text, hand me a note, something. I won't call you out. I won't, I won't personally say, Bobby has this really dumb question. Like, I wouldn't do that to her. I might, I might do that to, to, to Chris. He made eye contact. I might do that to Chris, either, either one. But, so just ask your question. I hope this was edifying. It's just meant to be a little break. Next week, we'll get back into our, book, uh, our study in the book of Exodus in victory, uh, victory in, in Exodus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the fact that it is clear that we can cross-reference, that we can study, that we have tools to be able to do that. Your Holy Spirit, the most important tool to, to direct us and to teach us and to guide us uh, on these matters of truth. And, and so, Lord, we, we love you. We thank you for uh, the depth of your word. And, and, Lord, even though there were other topics that it would have been great if we had time to, to delve into, Lord, I just pray uh, maybe another time, another way uh, we'd spend time on those items. And Lord, we just thank you again for loving us. We thank you for the immense responsibility. Um, the fact that you give us free will and that you allow people to choose you or not choose you by its very nature means you've, you've commissioned us to be part of your mouthpiece. And that is heavy, and we thank you for it. It's a great responsibility, and we just ask that you, uh, that you teach us and grow us uh, so that we can meet that responsibility. So we can stand before you uh, without blood-stained hands. In Jesus' name, amen.